0: Hi, welcome to Coach Beard's Book Club. I'm Michaela, Coach Beard's assistant. Together with Andrea, Bex and Marita, we'll be diving into the books mentioned or seen in the Apple TV series Ted Lasso. So if you love Ted Lasso as much as Van Damme loves Amsterdam, then join this group of four women handpicked by Beard himself and let's go! Greyhounds, welcome back to Coach Beard's Book Club podcast. I hope you're all doing great. Um, Marita, Andrea and Bex, it's brilliant to see you again. What are we all watching now that we don't have any Ted Lasso to watch? Marita, what about you? What are you watching just now?
1: Well so i'm watching and rewatching, and it's it's funny because it's basically whatever the opposite of ted lasso is but the americans it's it's an amazing show i would recommend it to anyone who has a reasonable tolerance for sex and violence in in shows mm-hmm. um but it is not something to watch to feel good uh it's kind of emotionally exhausting actually but it's absolutely brilliant and the the whole arc of the series uh they managed to get through and stick the landing on it so it's oh it's, good because
0: that is it. that is rare well, it's always reassuring. Yeah, because of the corporations won't let us get the ending we want, <clears> or <throat> flag flag instead.
1: But anyway, <laughs> or really anything at HBO now.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly, exactly. Perry Andrea, Mason. what? Are they, that's right. They cancel Perry Mason as well. And Julia. What even are they doing there?
1: Um, and they're about to delete a whole like coyote versus acme movie just for the write-off
0: yeah i've seen a lot of people actually illegally downloading their flag means death content from the the site because they couldn't bear to be partied with it and i don't blame them i would be the same
2: well if it's it's not even like it's available to buy on dvd right like you're not giving
0: people an option Mm -mm, no andrea what about you what are you watching
3: i just finished watching the agatha christie perot series and i started marple
0: Mm. Uh, and
3: i'm just like loving all of these like just yeah they're cozy mysteries they is what so they are cozy, yeah they i are even so cool. started i just watched the first episode of the one with manny patinkin on hulu death death in the details death Ooh. and the details or i wonder how i get that here because we don't, I have don't know one. but it's manny patinkin as a parole like nice d- you know that's that the detective And um, yeah, I'm just loving this kind of cozy mystery Mm -hmm. vibe right
0: now. Poirot and Marple are just, I love watching Poirot and Marple. It's a safe space for me. Bex,
2: what are you currently devouring? Well, I'm talking about cozy, that my choice is also cozy. This is one for anyone out there who has Crunchyroll. It's called Polar Bear Cafe, and it is a slice of life anime starring a polar bear, a panda, and a penguin, wall hang out I love coffee how you shop. say
0: staring as if there is a real polar bear <laughs> actor out there who got the part I love that I'm, I'm invested
2: it's just it's so cute the panda gets a job as a part-time panda at the zoo there are a couple humans in it as well they all live amongst one another and like the full-time panda at the zoo he's got a side hustle it. it's amazing like it's just Like you were saying, Andrea, it's cozy, it's cute, it just, it's feel good. And Mm -hmm. I think for any of you anime fans crossing with Ted Lasso fans, this will give you that feel good Mm -hmm. that you might be looking for.
0: Nice, that sounds great. Well, thanks to Andrea, I got to watch season two of Our Flagman's Death because it didn't come out in Britain at the same time as it came out in America. And Andrea was kind enough to let me watch it on her daily via the internet. It was a lot of fun, but I'm sad about that because I love that show. So, since then, I've mostly just been re watching the Dungeons and Dragons Honor Among Thieves movie because why not, right? If you can exist in a fantasy land, that's where I'll be.
2: <laughs> and didn't our Flag Means Death just recently come to um, like the iPlayer or some. some...
0: Yes, literally just. Um, and a lot earlier than last year. I think it was eight months we had to wait last year. Oh, wow. has it has been eight months since we watched it, right, Andrea? I mean, time is... No, it hasn't. It right? had to be confirmed. No, maybe six months? <laughs> it might have easily been, but um, yeah, it's been a bit quicker. So I shall also be finding a way to acquire and keep that content because I'm not happy to not have access to it whenever I want. <laughs> mm-hmm. So hopefully it stays on iPlayer, but yeah. So so we've been reading this time um How to Change Your Mind by Michael Pollan. Yes. How does everybody um, How's everybody on with that? Were we enjoying it?
2: I I liked it. I listened to it on audiobooks, so I think it made it a little easier. I might have tuned out a little bit in certain sections if I were reading on the page. Just and there was no there were beasts,
0: so you weren't no going to be all right with that. I yet. mean,
2: yeah, that's unfortunate. <laughs> but no, I think it was... Like, some moments were really good, but some moments got a little either repetitive
0: or, yeah. I was just like, okay, move on. Do you know what's interesting? Remember when we did Marilyn Sheldrake's um, The Entangled Life? And I mentioned a four-part documentary that I watched on Netflix called yeah. How to Change Your Mind, it was Michael Pollan. It was based on the book. <laughs> so when I was I, reading it, I was like, why have I heard this before? And it turned out because I'd watched the documentary. I feel
2: like laying that out in a visual media would work better almost, but that's my personal
0: opinion. Yeah, it's
2: very interesting. Yeah.
0: So for our readers who may not have had time to check the book out yet, Bex, you can um, give us a little information on the sure. part, How to Change Your Mind.
2: All right. So I've got a synopsis for you. And it says when Michael Pollan set out to research how LSD and psilocybin, the active ingredient in magic mushrooms, are being used to provide relief to people suffering from difficult to treat conditions such as depression, addiction and anxiety, he did not intend to write what is undoubtedly his most personal book. But upon discovering how these remarkable substances are improving the lives not only of the mentally ill, but also of healthy people coming to grips with the challenges of everyday life, he decided to explore the landscape of the mind in the first person as well as the third. Thus began a singular adventure into various altered states of consciousness, along with a deep dive into both the latest brain science and the thriving underground community of psychedelic therapists. Holland sifts the historical record to separate the truth about these mysterious drugs from the myths that have surrounded them since the 1960s, when a handful of psychedelic evangelists inadvertently catalyzed a powerful backlash against what was then a promising field of research. A unique and elegant blend of science, memoir, travel writing, history, and medicine, How to Change Your Mind, is a triumph of participatory journalism. By turns dazzling and edifying, it is the gripping account of a journey to an exciting and unexpected new frontier in our understanding of the mind, the self, and our place in the world. The true subject of Paulin's mental travelogue is not just psychedelic drugs, but also the eternal puzzle of human consciousness and how, in a world that offers us both suffering and joy, we can do our best to be fully present and find meaning in our lives. It's quite, uh, verbose but there you go (laughs) yeah it was a wordy
0: one it was a wordy one you did fantastic where in ted lasso does it show up so we see the book
2: in the series finale right season three episode 12 so long farewell um on the plane heading back to the u.s when beard is so upset about leaving jane he decides to stay you know ted encourages him telling him that he would not be abandoning ted but following his heart Beards removed from the plane after faking an appendicitis, and Ted stays on board to fly to the US. So we see the book among a pile of things that Ted has on his seat as he's opening up the gift from Keeley, which, you know. As far as I'm concerned, this is a questionable, like, that they would have probably flagged it going through security. because
3: Yeah, Marita, you were
0: were not happy about that snow globe. (laughs) Snow
1: globe, come on.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Imagine if the whole story of Ted Lasso was just about him pretending to be nice just so he could take a snow globe on a plane and blow it up or something. (laughs) Wow, that's too dark.
2: (laughs) In a later scene, we see Ted asleep on the plane with his finger in the middle of the book, maybe about halfway through reading it.
3: Lovely, And it also actually gets mentioned in an earlier episode mm-hmm. in the Amsterdam episode, when he makes the tea for Ted, when Beard makes the tea for Ted, he hands, he's, as he's handing the tea to him, he says, and this is how to change your mind. Uh-huh. So it's, he's, good spot. the book isn't there, but he says it.
0: Yeah, no, that's a good spot. I would imagine it's directly correlated um, to the book. Nice. And um
2: just before we get started, a couple of trigger warnings, I think primarily in Marita's section, if I remember correctly, but uh, you'll correct me if I'm wrong. Tr- some trigger warnings for discussion of drug use, alcohol, suicide, and depression.
1: I mean, I think everyone's probably going to be talking about drug use, but sure, I'll open I'll, the I'll, I'll <laughs> trigger warnings on all the others.
2: Only Marita. <laughs> Only Marita. <laughs> I mean, I feel like if you just listen to my synopsis, you probably know what you're in for in terms of the drug use yeah, discussion. Yeah. But enough. I would actually feel fair
1: applaud the creativity if any of y'all can come up with a section that does not discuss drug use in a book. About <laughs> <drug use. laughs> I'm going to start off, and I'm going to be up on a soapbox for a little bit, so if you'll forgive me for that, because I want to talk a little bit about privilege in terms of drug use and who gets penalized for using what kinds of drugs. Yes. And so to start off on that, I mean, we should talk, I think, a little bit about the war on drugs. And there is a teaching professor in political science at the University of Washington. His name is Scott Lemieux, and he... Writes for a lot of he writes books largely on the court system, but he writes opinion pieces for a lot of different papers. You'll find him in in places like the Guardian. So Scott Lemieux refers to he expands the war on drugs uh, out with a parenthetical and calls it the war on some classes of people who use some drugs, and I think if you look at U.S. drug policy anyway, that's really very true, because this idea is that what drugs are illegal and how severe the punishments are, or if punishments even exist, is largely based on cultural factors, particularly racial and class prejudices, and not on scientific reality with regard to what the drug does or how dangerous it is. And so a really good way to get a sense of like how extreme this could be in some cases is to look at the sentencing disparities between crack cocaine and powder cocaine in the U.S., mm-hmm. Because for a long time, the disparity was 100 to 1 in terms of sentencing. So if you distributed five grams of crack cocaine that had a minimum five-year federal prison sentence, to get that same minimum mandatory five-year federal sentence with powder cocaine, it was 500 grams. So 100 times difference in terms of what what sentence you would get. Right. And that was justified with a lot of claims that really don't hold up, like claiming crack is considerably more addictive than powdered cocaine. Mm -hmm. Right. And I am not, I want to be clear, arguing that either form of cocaine is not a health concern. But that is a, a massive, massive sentencing disparity that was largely racially and class based.
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah.
1: And so even it was addressed in 2010 to some extent with what was called the Fair Sentencing Act that tried to address that disparity, but it still only dropped it from 100 to 1 to 18 to 1. There is still a sentencing disparity between the two. And you can look at other examples in the United States, like marijuana was made illegal for reasons that were less based on actual scientific fact and more based on xenophobia and racism. You can also look at the flip side because, you know, we had OxyContin, which became a huge huge problem in the United States, largely because an establishment medical entity lied about the science in order to make a profit, right? They claimed it was non-addictive. They used a massive marketing team to push larger and larger doses out onto people. And there's even a joke about the Sackler family in Ted Lasso, right? Rupert vacationing with them. But if you ever wanna understand what people mean when they talk about crime as a social construct, a lot of times when people talk about crime being a social construct, they talk about wage theft. But look at the difference between sentencing of like lifelong sentences for mid-level street dealers for drugs where the Sacklers have, you know, their, their business has had huge civil penalties, but I'm not sure that there were ever any criminal penalties at all for the, the entire situation there, mm. which has killed innumerable people and ruined even more lives.
0: No, oh, but we've got to feel sorry for them because apparently they were socially run out of their circles.
1: That must have been so awful for oh, them. No, they, they got their t- names taken off some buildings. That's to yeah. Cool yeah.
0: <laughs> Same thing, right? <laughs>
1: And so it seems so straightforward, you know, like drug policies should be based on what the pharmacological profile of a drug is, how addictive is it, what's the overdose potential, how dangerous are people when they're inebriated on it, measured to some extent versus actual potential and therapeutic use. Uh, but that's that's just not where we're at as a society. I, I don't know that many places are actually there. This part is is my opinion, but I think it's backed up by science. I think even illegal drug use should be treated more as a public health issue than as a criminal issue, because that's what tends to work better, particularly things like harm reduction, mm-hmm. which is, for people who aren't familiar, the idea that there are some activities that have inherent risk and that whether they're illegal or not people are going to do them anyway so you try to implement strategies that basically mitigate the risk both to the people using uh to the people that encounter the people are using and keep people alive and as safe as possible rather than just criminalizing things driving them underground Mm -hmm. Um, that doesn't really work to slow down the pace of death and serious health issues in the context of the drug war, right, who can use drugs and what drugs get punished is, is really very socially constructed, and certain people are able to do it with almost impunity, right? You look at, like, marijuana, when it the penalties started to get less and less was when upper-class white college kids were using it more, Mm -hmm. right? That's when people were like, oh, well, he's a good kid. Maybe he shouldn't go to jail for so long. I I
3: noticed it. I couldn't help but notice yesterday I was driving around uh, in the suburbs of Chicago and the number of weed dispensaries in the, in the white suburbs Mm -hmm. when there are none in the South black neighborhoods of Chicago and when they when they legalized marijuana here, they they were like the whole thing was like we are going to make sure that we put these in you know that we have black owners of of weed shops and put them in the black neighborhood. There are none.
2: Mm-hmm. It's
3: ridiculous. And I saw like four in where my brother lives.
2: Oh yeah, there's like, I mean. I could take like a loop around my neighborhood and come across like six or seven of them.
1: Well, and I suspect part of that, although I'm certainly not an expert on this has to do a lot with financing because if you're, because marijuana is still federally illegal, you can't use the same banking systems that you otherwise would, right? You need yeah. cash for those businesses. I know Oregon's, one of Oregon's senators is trying to have been trying to introduce a banking act that would allow those businesses to use actual real banks which would cut down on crime improve tax compliance right there's a lot of good reasons to do it Um, but that also might contribute to certain neighborhoods not having access to those kinds of those kinds of stores so anyway we want to talk about you know michael pollan wrote this all about use of psychedelics and he does address in his book right the public use even when psychedelics were not yet illegal was not at some point encouraged and the the feds would use marijuana laws to go after key figures in the psychedelic movement paulin talks about this a little bit but timothy leary was on the mexico border with u.s uh there was a small amount of what seems to be his girlfriend's marijuana but it was a personal use amount uh that he took responsibility for and his sentence was 30 years in prison and a thirty thousand dollar fine and he had the the wherewithal and the um, ability to fight that and get it overturned on Fifth Amendment grounds based on the law, but he was subsequently harassed and and ended up fleeing the country to avoid prosecution on marijuana laws. And I realized Timothy Leary's pretty polarizing and not saying he wasn't kind of
0: no, but they went after him. I mean that was specifically not after him. With I mean, the marijuana. They went after him because he was espousing right. views like what what was that... I can't remember it now. It was like tune in and the last bit was like drop out or something. And tune in turn on and drop out? I That's think. it. Yeah, they were worried and, you that know, that my, message was going to reach everybody or something. It was
1: so weird. So so my favorite author, Ken Kesey, who had the acid tests, right, these famous parties where there's just a punch bowl where everyone is using like psychedelics before they were illegal. But he also got uh, jail time based on a marijuana offense. He spent about five months in jail for possession in California of, of marijuana. So, being able to use things and use them publicly and be open about it is absolutely a privilege. And so I think Paulin kind of elides that. I mean, he talks about the penalties other people have faces faced. He talked about worrying a little bit. I mean, I think he maybe spent a half a paragraph on the potential consequences of him doing these trips and writing about it. Yeah. But in reality, he wrote a New York Times best selling book where he openly admits to using Schedule One federal drugs and has faced no consequences for it, right? He doesn't Mm -hmm. have to worry about that.
0: That's interesting, yeah.
1: That's a breathtaking amount of privilege, right? Mm -hmm. There are people who absolutely would not be able to do that. And so putting this back in the context of Ted Lasso, right? So Ted's ability to even use a trip or what he thought was a trip, right, as a means to open his mind is a significant indicator of privilege. And there are a lot of those in Ted Lasso, right? It's it's a very privileged group of people. They don't have money problems, with the exception of maybe Higgins just a little bit, but it's more a joke than like an actual, yeah. you know, trauma for them. Mm-hmm. And even when they had Ted do that, they made sure the setting was Amsterdam, where drug use is officially tolerated, rather than have Ted be a lawbreaker, right? And that's a character choice too, but there's still a privilege there. And I note that Beard mm-hmm. and Jane, who are definitely still privileged but they're presented as more on the fringes or margins of society Are feel free to use in the uk right Mm -hmm. but if ted's going to do it he does it in amsterdam where it's more sort of normalized in society
0: yeah even though beard brought it in
1: right which (laughs) may
0: it's like you're going to amsterdam why are you bringing your own magic mushrooms
1: (laughs) so i think it's it's even really important here to look at differences in privilege. Where Ted could get away with doing that, right? And it, soccer is a very necessarily creative sport. Ted has talked about once the players are out on the field, he's not telling them what to do. They have to use creativity and and within the system that they've learned, figure out what to do on their own. So, like a
0: collective you, consciousness, perhaps.
1: Yes. Well, there you go. But players in the Premier League can't use drugs, and it's not just performance enhancing drugs. There is a big list of what they call social drugs that players are prohibited from using. Mm -hmm. And so I looked up the list and psilocybin wasn't on the list that I saw, but I think that might be more sort of popularity and availability versus... because they do make a point that they can ban any additional drugs at any time, but MDMA is on there, or, uh, THC is on there, marijuana is on there. So there's a big list of drugs that have nothing to do with performance that players are banned from using. And you can look at some egregious examples from other sports, you look at Shakari Richardson, right, she was an Olympic sprinter from the United States, mm-hmm. and she was in Eugene. For the 2020 Olympic qualifiers her biological mother had died and she wasn't raised by her biological mother so her mother died she found out about it only when a reporter asked her about it so she's under all this pressure anyway and then gets a a bomb dropped on her like that and she was in oregon marijuana is legal right so she smoked marijuana it showed up on her test and they suspended her for her race in the olympics and it's i can't think of anyone who would argue that marijuana makes you faster yeah exactly it's not exactly a performance enhancing drug
0: put it this way it doesn't make me want to run
1: right (laughs) and i i i am in agreement with the the ban on performance enhancing drugs i think that protects athletes because it's not just athletes who want to get better but it's athletes who can be pressured into taking drugs that are ultimately very bad for their bodies in order to perform better i i don't think those drugs have a place in competitive sport but something like smoking marijuana, especially in a place like I said, she was in Oregon it Mm. was legal, she wasn't breaking any laws that has nothing to do with athletic performance and everything to do with cultural attitudes and, And I bring this up because the players on his team who actually have to use that creativity out on the pitch would not have any reasonable access or the ability to use in the same way that Ted did in a way that really opened up his coaching capabilities, which is something that that Paulin discusses in the book, the ability to think about things in ways that you otherwise wouldn't, especially yeah. on sort of what what I think the book referred to as creative doses. <laughs> um, yeah. So some of the lower level doses.
0: So, talking about that, I found it really interesting that most of Silicon Valley was microdosing. Like I didn't know that before reading this book.
1: I, mean, that, I, I don't think I knew it explicitly. I'm completely unsurprised. Yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> you know. It's one of those things where it's like, yeah, that makes sense.
1: <laughs> but so it's it's interesting because it's not just the Premier League, right? And it's not just the Olympic doping body. It's the same in the US. All of the major sports leagues have bans on social drugs. Um, they have been softening a bit. So I was reading up on who can do what where. So in the NFL players... Marijuana is banned, but they're only required to undergo marijuana testing once a year at the start of training camp.
0: (laughs) Well, you can be really smart about that, yeah. Right. You can, really, um, you can be and the penalty
1: because it used to be suspensions. Like athletes would lose whole seasons for testing positive. But you can
0: drink um, alcohol and be an athlete.
1: Well, I'm that. getting there.
0: Yeah. Wow. Okay. And <laughs> um,
1: so yeah, and there's actually a really limited number of athletes who have come out as as having used psychedelics. Mm. Um, unfortunately, that includes the most annoying player in the NFL, uh, who I won't name directly, but he's anti-vax and uh, got injured very early in the past season. And I'm sure Andrea knows exactly who I'm. Talking about yeah, uh, if those of you who don't follow football, do I'm just not going to name him. We'll Voldemort him for now. But in general, those athletes who have talked about using psychedelics went to other countries where it's legal to do it. Right? Mm-hmm. They did it in the off season. They did it somewhere else where it was legal, and they came back. So it's not like something they have access to for mental health treatment, for example, or you know, treatment of their depression or any traumatic stress. So you do, you contrast this all in Ted Lasso, you know, this really limited psychedelic use to a broadly socially acceptable drug, which is alcohol. Mm -hmm. Right. And Ted clearly self-medicates with it. He, you know, the immediate aftermath of his father's suicide, he goes downstairs, opens the fridge, drinks one of his dad's beer. Right. He has hard liquor when he's numbing the pain of missing Henry at Christmas and just all of this bad experience with alcohol. And of course, even though it's a low-key destructive force throughout the show, it's also used completely normally and appropriately and for fun, and I don't think a lot of us uh, think about that in the show so much. I know we've had extensive discussion in this book club about it because we read F. Scott Fitzgerald, and this you can't avoid talking about well, alcohol. Use. Some of
0: us read it. I gave up halfway through, so it doesn't count. Um,
1: but it's really interesting how you know. Alcohol from a pharmacological perspective, I think you can make the argument is more dangerous than marijuana, but it's just so many cultural factors that come into account when we talk about what is allowed to be used and what's acceptable to be used. Mm. So there is my privileged soapbox. I wanted to talk a little bit because I am based here in Oregon about what's happening in Oregon because controlled use of psilocybin was legalized here through what was called ballot measure 109 so through a a citizen voted ballot measure we legalized the the use of psilocybin in strictly controlled circumstances Um, i have to note it's not federally legal uh but implementation is taking place right and so it's interesting because it's not freely legal like marijuana is uh the use has to be at a licensed center and a significant amount of training is required for the facilitators And so it very much follows along with what is talked about extensively in the book about flight training and flight instructions, I guess, Uh, having a a session in advance, Mm -hmm. a facilitated session, and then a reintegrated session. They have very much followed that model. But in the same light, they made a point of not medicalizing it. You don't need to have a reason to do it. Um, So that's an interesting combination of the models.
0: Could you explain for our, our British listeners, because I'm also confused, when something's, like, illegal at a state level but not at a federal level, does that mean the federal government can just come after you at any time they like? Or they Definitely. just, like, leave you, like, yeah. So what happens? They just leave you alone until it's brought to their attention or till you're a problem or...?
1: Well, the thing is, is uh, I don't know, the, the federal system is... Uh maybe a little too complicated to really make clearly understood, but law enforcement agencies have jurisdictions. Mm -hmm. So like I live in a County that has County Sheriff and like out at my property, any crime would be investigated by the County Sheriff. If I go into the town that I'm closest to, they have their own police department. Right. So there's all these jurisdictions and I'm sure you have that too. Right. And then the feds are like this overarching agency, but they're not for the most part boots on the ground. You don't just have like ATF and FBI guys Wandering around, patrolling, if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah,
0: right. Okay, and that so does make sense.
1: it's not a federal priority, so it could technically be illegal. I mean, it is technically federally illegal, but they probably. Leave it up the to f-
2: the states to make those decisions, and they trust right. that the state is doing what the state the thinks right is side. right. A lot of times,
1: the feds could go after people, but they're not. They're not there like doing traffic stops and stuff like that. So they're not going to catch somebody with a, a personal use amount of drugs, right? If yeah. they decide to go after someone, it's probably going to be interstate yeah, like shipments a business. and things like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. But it is a weird, murky mm. legal area, right? Mm. Anyway, so I was reading up on sort of Oregon's implementation and there's this great story from Oregon Public Broadcasting about the facilitator training. And it's a pretty extensive training. Uh, and it, like I said, it does seem to have incorporated a lot of best practices from the flight instructions, strict ethical guidelines. So the, there was one thing that really popped out at me because there was this discussion. They they picked facilitators from a broad uh, range of kind of walks of life, you know. Not a lot of licensed medical practitioners necessarily want to touch it because especially people who prescribe rely on a federal license. And so if you have a federal license to prescribe in your regular practice, you might not want to jeopardize that by occasionally giving people psilocybin. But people like social workers and therapists and, and other sort of integrated health fields that aren't licensed in the same way, there were a lot of those. And so there was discussion with this 79-year-old student named Luisa Marks. Uh, she's a clinical psychologist. And as part of the training program, the students had the chance to, the the training is expensive and it's like six months, but they had the chance to pay $3,000 extra to, to go on a trip to Mexico where they could legally try the drug, right? And this woman went on the trip and it was really interesting. So I'm going to quote the story now. So Mark said she took the trip and drug, hoping to think about the pros and cons of a new career as a psilocybin facilitator. Instead, she found herself focusing on her conservative upbringing. Quoting her, I was looking at my Scandinavian Midwestern roots, the amount of rigidity around work and being productive and being, quote, a good person, she said. Mark saw herself in a rigid cage. What came to me in my psilocybin experience was spacious ease. You can live with spacious ease. She said the psilocybin gave her permission to stop during the workday and enjoy the moment there's a lighter way of living. I love it, she said. And that just struck me as so Ted from the sort of conservative, skeptical Midwestern sensibility to sort of getting out to this appreciating everything in life. I mean, he, he did a large part of that before using the drugs, but there was just, that had a very Ted Lasso feel to it, if, if that makes sense.
2: Yeah, it does. Absolutely. Definitely.
1: I like that. And it's interesting kind of how people are approaching that here. So it, it talks about her looking at how the whole system is, going to work because psilocybin is still schedule one, right? So doing sessions have to be outside of her regular work. There's concerns with licensing boards. And so she's considering ketamine because that's licensed for therapeutic work. And it wouldn't have the same issues with possibly the feds interfering. She still can bill insurance because some of the uses that they're being considered are still off license, but at least there's not so many legal pitfalls. But it's interesting because when we see Ted with the book open at the ending of the series, even if his previous trip wasn't actually a trip, he's clearly open to the idea. Which is cool, but I, I have to say coming back to privilege if Ted wanted to do a trip and he wanted to do it legally within the US, he would have to at this moment come to Oregon and so there's another way that privilege comes into play, so I hadn't even realized it but sessions started last June and there's been so little fanfare and so few problems that I think there was one or two news stories and then. it's just done at these places and people are contained and no one sees anyone out on a bad trip and so no one notices it's happening right, but if you look at the coverage of it, it is super expensive it's between one and $3,000. For a trip, like the facilitator's licenses here in Oregon, I think are $10,000 annually. So even to cover that, right? Because the trip is going to incorporate a full day's work between the four to six hours of the trip, the pre-trip, the post-integration. The wait lists are so long that they have an indeterminate like wait time. Like People just get their name on a list and have no idea how how long they're going to have to wait. And because it is only Oregon, most of the clients have been from out of state. Uh, and that was really shocking to me when I, I saw it because I just thought it would be sort of local hippies, <laughs> which makes sense. But I guess they probably have their own supply and their own way of going about things. But yeah, there was one person who had been seeing clients for months and they'd only seen two people from within the state of Oregon. So kind of a weird tourism windfall for Oregon, um, but definitely a, a a privileged situation where there's something with such therapeutic potential, but you have massive travel and uh other expenses in order to have it happen becomes a, a privileged situation once again
2: it makes me think of Ted's privilege like one of the things I noticed re-watching the finale or at least that final scene is that when they flew to London, they flew in coach they flew in like the middle they were jammed in, like they didn't have window seats out like they were all like jammed in there right and they're flying back in like, not just first class, but like the fancy first class with like the lay down seats and all of this stuff. Right. So like, I mean, obviously we know Ted spent three years being a premier and championship league coach and he's gotten different money and prizes and awards and whatever for that. But we can see the change in his financial privilege as well as like, I mean, obviously he already held that white male privilege, um, but now he has that financial privilege as well. So he could he could potentially fly to Oregon and pay that price. Oh, no, he,
1: he could afford it. Yeah, I mean, he'd still have the wait list to contend with. Uh, so he should book now. Um, but...
0: Hi, Greyhounds. If you'd like to join in on the conversation, tweet us at Beards Book Club or email us at coachbeardsbookclub at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Now back to the podcast. That was really interesting, Marita, and I'll be I'll be over soon for my appointment. Just make the bed up and I'll come stay. Um, <laughs> You'll be on that
2: wait list for like 10 years.
0: Yeah, <laughs> we'll <be> ex- yurt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'll just come and wait there and it'll only be 10 years. It'll be fine. Andrea, you are going to take us forwards. What have you got for us?
3: Yes, a couple of things that we, we talked about a little bit in the beginning, but like I did find this book informative. Um, I enjoyed listening to the audiobook. I agree. I think that was the better way to listen. I know that, you know, Poland is a, I, you know, I I knew he was kind of a complicated figure and um, there was definitely an added kind of like an, an attitude preachiness to some of his writing that made me a little eye rolly, but like it was just interesting. Um, I also felt like he just spent too much time on the history and like, dissing timothy leary like repeatedly that just wasn't interesting and it wasn't moving the story forward but yeah like i gave it four stars on goodreads (laughs) i I enjoyed it so uh the part i appreciated and made me think a lot about ted Lasso was his description of because i'm this is also where i am in my life right getting to the middle age point of your life and taking this like leap of faith you know that people use psychedelics a lot more on their youthful indulgences. But later in life, when your mind has changed a bit, and you know, that it's it could be useful. And that was just really interesting to me. And the fact that, you know, Ted is getting older, and he was kind of starting to think of these things. And I really enjoyed that. And um, it made me think a lot about it made me think a lot about Jane and Beard. And their use of psychedelics is definitely comes up several times, we all know they do it. And they are also, you know, a complicated pair, much like this issue is right? It's not black and white. And so after reading the book, I went ahead and I watched the funeral episode, the Beard After Dark episode, Amsterdam in the finale, because those were the points I was kind of thinking about things. You know, I'll be honest, I never really loved Jane, but I do think she's obviously giving Beard something. There's something there between them. I understand their connection to each other, even though like, yeah, I've questioned the some of her, some of the things she's done that he's been okay with, and then honestly, thinking about them through the lens of this book did shift my understanding of them a bit. Um, so I'll get into that. So I definitely wanted to kind of talk about beard after hours for a bit, because like that whole night felt like what was described in this book, right? Like, and again, he didn't take anything at the beginning. He did drink alcohol,
0: but it we felt knows. like that, that we, we yeah that we know.
3: <laughs> yes, who knows was he drinking tea at any point i don't remember but like the night had like those moments of like strangeness like the way things just seemed to ebb and flow and some transcendent mo- moments right like there were things about colors and things that were happening that just felt very yeah like, um, that's almost
0: said, like the when he's jumping from the building into the what americans call the dumpster that to yeah. me was a perception scene. Like it didn't look like that in real life. That's what he saw because it was yes. like, mad. It was <laughs> it was really cool looking.
3: You know, and, and it's a night of going with the flow, being on a journey and seeing where the night takes him, Right. Like he's very much just like his entire attitude is just like, let's just go see what happens. Right. And it felt again, how these trips were explained in the book. You know, I, I think he was, he had a lot of things on his mind and he was trying to take his mind someplace. There were things he was trying to work through um, right between the game and his, you know, Jane, like, he, you know, the whole thing about he told her he loved her and she didn't say it back. And, he, you know, he was still drawn to her and all these things like he had all these things he was working through that, you know, a lot of the examples he talked about in the book were people who were dealing with things and kind of had to come to terms with them in these sessions they were having. And so, you know, the message of the whole night was kind of getting past his own mind to accept the good things in his life and to understand things in his life, right? So, you know, so so again, kind of talking about Jane, she's a bit of an oddball, but so is Beard. (laughs) He's also a bit of an oddball. Sorry, boss. Sorry, boss. You know, uh, she opens up something in him that makes him feel comfortable with himself. And I was actually paying attention to like, you know, I don't remember how many texts she ends up sending him that night. But, like, on one hand, she seems, you're just like, oh, my God, lady, like, what are you doing? Like, like, calm down. But at no point does she, right, she sends him these millions of texts. But even in some of the messages, she's just like, I want you to have what you need. I want you to have this night. You need to, like, you need, like, she's, like, encouraging him, right? And then even when they finally get together, like, if you think about, if you think, like, oh, my God, she's all over the place. She's crazy. She's, you know, she's whatever that she would just kind of like pounce on him and be like why where were you you didn't respond to me she doesn't do any of that right right she's just like hey here you are here's a hula hoop." like like she just like like is there to kind of like accept him in and let him like you need to just experience what you need to experience and that was really interesting to me it was something i didn't pick up on and again this thing about jane that like there's definitely things about her we can all talk about that are like what is up with you lady but like there's also the side of her that's just like she just seems very free spirited. Um, yeah free-spirited also
2: like aware like beard's own idiosyncrasies and how to best work within that like you said she says hey hi how's it going here's a hula hoop right like i mean that's not her words but that's basically like how it plays out yeah
1: yeah i i appreciate this charitable view of Jane, because I still, I mean, she does things that minimize Beard's feelings a lot. I, I have a hard time not yes. seeing her as an asshole. But I um think that's a, a really interesting point that isn't really touched on in the book. I mean, it talks about how much psychedelics can do to open your mind. And I think there are things of interesting therapeutic potential. But I think it's also important to remember that this isn't a cure for being an asshole right (laughs) this isn't a cure-all it doesn't fix a bad personality um and I think that kind of gets glossed in the in the whole thing I mean you might you might see yourself as broadly connected to every being in the universe and still be a jackass when you're out interacting with people so I (laughs) I think it's important to remember that nothing is a wonder drug and it's not helpful to sell anything like that
2: No. no no wonder drugs only wonder kids that's very good nice, smooth great tagline
3: um yeah i mean i just feel like beard and jane are two people who just are living completely in the moment that they're in and that's something that jane helps him with right like we are in this moment and this is the moment um and there's just something interesting about that again yeah i got like 100 percent agree none of this forgives it you know there's so Despite many things there's a, we-
0: a lack of emotional regulation but t- to get the sort of free spirit aids, you know, let's just live in the moment, then you have to have that, right? You have to be neglecting other parts of life yes. that, that are required and necessary. So if anything, it's actually quite um, true to life.
3: Right. Um. But so, yeah, so, uh, you know, th- so there was something there for me again about Jane, in some ways, helping being a guide for Beard that night on his journey, right? Like, you know, the people that are helping the um the patients in the book. And so, uh, Paul and Tuxa, you know, he speaks a lot about these guides on the journeys, people that are these facilitators that Marita was just talking about. And kind of in addition to Jane, there's a symbolism of he keeps dropping his keys and everyone trying to give them back to him, like guiding him, leading him. Like, there's a lot of there's a lot of things about what's going on with Beard and people supporting him in weird ways, right? There's also like chaos, right? Like bumping into Jamie's father, right? But then that guy comes and again, like just kind of like lead, like is just there for a moment to like push him back in the right direction, right?
0: It's absolutely a circular moment with Jamie Tar with Jamie's yes. tar- pals, because it is essentially what our pub lads would be if beard and ted and me didn't give a shit about them they would end up like the you know the hooligans nasty lads like jamie tarts dad so uh, it, it kind of was that circularity of like this trip that they're talking about it's really interesting yes right and i
3: mean there was so much there was so much in the book about you have to be prepared to like what's the thing you're most scared of I'm going to get a little bit more into this as I go, but like, what's the thing you're most scared of? And you, you can't run from it. You have to just face it. Right. And it's, and, and in some ways beard does, right. Like even like he initially runs from Jamie's dad. All uh, right. But then it's something like when he realizes he doesn't have a way out, he just turns around, he puts his fists up, you know, he's like, all right, let's go. Like, let's do this. Right. And so that, again, there was. I saw that connection between the, those scenes and, and what they're talking about in the book for these journeys, you know, and and he ends up in the church and kind of finding his place with Jane, like they have that, that wonderful kind of come to peace moment, again, she didn't pounce on him freaking out, like, she's just like, all right, let's dance this out, right? Like, and he even kind of makes... Up with Thierry, <laughs> his fake Thierry. I don't know, you know, his his illusionary Thierry that was shut bothering up, him Thierry the whole Henry, night.
0: Isn't that? Is that what he says shut, yeah. up,
3: shut up Thierry Henry. <laughs> uh, but at the last moment, Thierry is there having he's getting the food served that, at the place, and like Beard like waves at him. It's like they have a moment of like, all right, we're cool.
0: That's what makes and me so- think it is meant to be based on some kind of trip. Because just right. all of those yes. things falling back into place, you know, like you can say, oh well, it's not really true to life, but it's I don't think it's meant to be. You know, no. It's literally a trip with beard. So yes.
3: Um, and then so looking at um the funeral episode, what I found interesting about that was what I was just saying about you know, uh, kind of uh, addressing your demons, you know, coming fa- coming face to face with your demons. There was something about the way they're, the two of their attitude t- in the funeral that I found so fascinating about both of them, right? Where, I mean, literally they were tr- almost treating it like a, like they were watching a, you know, a, a football game, you know, like, they had the FaceTime on and she was like watching the, you know, I think she was
2: eating, eating popcorn. Right. It was like Andrea and Michaela watching our flag means death.
0: (laughs) That's that's exactly what it must've been like.
3: Yeah. And there's something about that. Them both being on the same wave wave. like, like they were doing that, but then like when it became a moment when Rebecca came up, like, you know, she immediately went off the phone. Like there was almost kind of no question of like, let's okay. Like, we need to be respectful now on what's going on. And also just that I really appreciated their embracing of death in that moment. That kind of like, again, like a funeral obviously is sad, but there is something about the moving on and about the circle of life. And like, there's something about their lack of fear of the funeral and their lack of of uh or not lack but like their lack of fear of the funeral and their ability to just be in that moment and just like listen like they're facing their fears head on
0: and the true embodiment um, of like momenta mori where it's like they're yes. remembering to live because they know that's where they're headed but it doesn't yeah you no know, and that's what, one of the things and, and tell th- Ivan's supposed to be able to help with you know
3: right yes you know, right i mean that was one of the things the thing that people fear most is death and their both of their their willingness to just kind of look at death in the face and be there in the moment again may, like made me think about the yeah these journeys and the things that they're talking about in the book the way that people's attitude about things like that change was interesting and again none of this discounts all of jane's craziness it's just these moments of time that made made me connect to the book really well um, and then, you know, Ted's journey of the night of Amsterdam is quite similar to Beard's, you know, Beard wasn't on any psychedelics that night that we know of. And Ted wasn't on any psychedelics the night that night either. Um, right. But, it, you know, maybe was who knows, or maybe it was just a small enough dose for him who it wasn't right. No experience. Um, but there was a lot of journeys in that episode. You know, Colin went on a journey. Roy, Jamie. Rebecca. You know, Roy learning Rebecca. Yeah, Rebecca, (laughs) Higgins, and Will. Um, the team finally realizing that the pillow fight was the answer. Which we've been saying
0: all along. We've been saying all along.
3: And uh, you know, Isaac insisting that they couldn't break up the team, that they were, you know, like, you know, I mean, obviously, Colin did separate himself and he needed a couple more episodes to realize, right? But that was just like everyone was just kind of on this experience journey. At the same time, that I thought was also like, if you watch, if you watch Beard After Dark and that episode next to each other, you're like, oh, there's some like, they play off of each other. And then so that, you know, in conclusion, like, I just think this book aligned with the show on telling us about the things that hold us back on being open to listen to experience to let people we love into our lives, we are the ones usually holding ourselves back in a lot of situations. And if you open your mind to new experiences to being curious, that is what the journey is for all of us. You know, and although you can work towards finding this on your own, sometimes you need the help of a professional Um you know, I need club. the help of the people around you, just or have, a good
0: yeah. Just have a book, get club. a good dance off. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, Greyhounds. A small break in proceedings to remind you to follow us on Twitter at Beard's Book Club and Instagram at Coach Beard's Book Club. Thanks for listening. Back to the podcast. Andrea, I really enjoyed that, and I think you're right because it reminded me of when they all in sunflowers when they all come back to the bus and start telling each other about what their nights were like it's like everybody's individual trip you know like they're all telling each other what happened and that's what it it kind of felt like that was really good they all
3: had a transcendence experience yeah of their own of their own yeah
0: yeah i mean i'll take rebecca's over everybody else's but that's a different story (laughs) well thanks andrea that's great Bex. i just went and got the order right there's only me and you left so
2: (laughs) can't be hard well, it was a perfect segue, Andrea, because I'm going to be focusing on the Sunflowers episode, right, which is season three, episode six. And I'm going to be looking at it in the context of something that uh, Paulin talks about, which is set and setting, which it's not his thing, but it's something he discusses. And in particular, I'm going to be looking at Ted and his trip to and in the Yankee Doodle Burger barn. I am of the school that thinks that, well, the batch may have been a dud batch for someone like Beard and someone like Kenneth that for somebody like Ted who had never done it before, it was enough for it to work for him. But even if it wasn't, the placebo effect was enough. I just know that I'm the kind of person that like the rest of you could be like, Oh wow. There was nothing to that. And if I like even just drinking alcohol, like,
0: I am like so oh, you're
1: wow. off your tits in yeah. minutes basically. Oh, yeah. what, are you, what are you implying? What are you implying about us, Bax? Uh, listen,
2: <laughs>
0: I guarantee nothing. you could all
2: hold your liquor a lot more than me. <laughs> I I mean maybe I'm wrong. We've never never drank together, but but yeah, as someone who is very susceptible, someone who can take half a Benadryl and be asleep in 20 minutes, you know, I I feel like even a dud batch of mushrooms would do something to me. So I feel like that's where Ted is. But even if not, the mindset that he has is important. So I want to establish first what set and setting is for our listeners who might not have had a chance to read the book or not be familiar with it. In the context of psychedelic drug experiences, set and setting means one's mindset, shortened to set, and the environment or setting in which the user has the experience. These are factors that can influence the effects of psychoactive substances. So set specifically refers to the mental state a person brings to the experience. This includes things like thoughts, moods, and expectations. And setting refers to the physical and or social environment in which the experience takes place. So again, as I mentioned, I'm going to be focusing very specifically or completely on ted and specifically in the moment in the yankee doodle burger barn where he quote-unquote discovers total football i will mention briefly the museum visit because i think that plays into it but um it will be mostly about the yankee doodle burger barn (laughs) i just how many times can i say it it's an amazing name
0: (laughs) it's making me hungry every time you see it (laughs) So before
2: I get into Ted and his experience, I want to talk about what Michael Pollan says about set and setting. So in the book, he talks about expectancy effects and how your expectations for an experience will influence the experience when using LSD and other hallucinogenic drugs. He specifically discusses the importance of setting set and setting in the success of LSD treatments. One example that he gives is one experiment that found that sterile white walls were not helpful for patients, but that adding specific and or personal elements into the setting actually helped amplify reactions and results. He explained that one can be manipulated by the right objects, sounds, smells, etc. I think that makes a lot of sense because it's like a stimulus in that case. He gives a personal example from his own privileged experience. He talks about when he took a hallucinogenic drugs with his wife, how he spent the whole trip worried about her, right? We're worried about her well-being, her experiences, what would happen to her if like he had something wrong happen. It was like a, a whole thing that that really influenced the way in which he experienced that trip. But When he later tried again with a guide, someone that he was not emotionally attached to, he didn't have that same concern, right? He didn't have the same worries and weight on him as he was on this trip. And he reiterated the point that it's important to be comfortable with who you're with and what you are surrounded by when partaking. And it's not just about, you know, oh, I want to be with someone I love and trust because again, in like in his case, he worried too much about that person he loved and trusted. He was with someone he trusted through interviews and this and that, but he didn't have the same emotional attachment. And one last point I want to mention before getting into Ted's specific experience is that research has shown that trips allow you to make your relationships with the world what you want, right? That's another thing he mentions in the book. I am not done any profound research beyond reading this book. So I'm just taking (laughs) that part anyway at face value. So Sunflowers, the episode opens with Ted Beard and Roy talking about exhibition matches being called friendlies and Ted saying that the sport drives him nuts. He doesn't get it. There are so many new terms, new concepts. He just hasn't been able to wrap his head around. But I only mention this because I think it's really important for when we get to the end of the episode. So everyone's, you know, Continue on with with Ted's mindset, right, his thoughts, his mood in this episode, everyone's depression to the loss to Ix, um leads Ted to give the players the freedom to do what they want that night. And he tells Beard they need it. And Beard replies, not as much as you do. Right. So, again, we've got Beard reading and sensing Ted's thoughts and moods. After the game, Ted's thoughts are centered around distracting himself. He texts Rebecca repeatedly because he wants to not think about the game or think about Henry or think about life. He just doesn't want to think. These are things that are weighing on him. And I don't know, I, I don't do drugs, but if I want to like distract myself, I sit there and I scroll. Square! <laughs> no, <I'm> just
0: kidding. <laughs> I just have to do that.
2: I'm so sorry. <laughs> Quite all right. But like I will use scrolling as sort of my numbing mechanism, right? I'll just like go through Instagram reels or TikToks or whatever. And that will distract me. Uh, but it is in this moment. They're in the hotel room. And Ted tells Beer that he feel he's feeling stuck and he needs to get out of his head by doing something. And I quote. Like being punched in the face or drinking wine and yelling at my mother. <laughs> it's just like, all right, Ted, that's that's it. And Beard gets excited because you know he's got he's got a solution that doesn't involve. He's been
0: waiting for this moment, yeah. hasn't he? He's been dying to get Ted high for years.
2: Uh huh. And and he can do it in a way that doesn't involve Ted having to yell at his mother. Yet yeah. he will eventually, but. So continuing with Ted's mindset, I want to think about his expectations for this experience. So Beard has just the idea for Ted, as we mentioned, but Ted is extremely apprehensive of doing mushrooms, uh, especially when he learns from Beard that they're going to be taking it in the form of tea. It's like the two things that he (laughs) hates the most, right? Or he's apprehensive of the drugs already and tea for real Ted says he's always been a beer or sour patch kind of guy and beard responds that those things don't form new neural pathways encouraging you to begin anew so he explains to Ted that this is how you change your mind and that's what you were talking about Andrea that sort of nod to Paul's book there beard downs the whole thing in one go and Ted just he can't do it he can't even take a sip of it and so I had me asking, you know, in terms of expectations, was it a fear of what would happen? Was it just straight up disgust of mushroom tea? Because fair, <laughs> I mean, I love tea and I love mushrooms, but I'm not sure how I feel about mushroom
1: tea. <laughs> I said it's Ted's healthy Midwestern skepticism, right? <laughs> exactly.
2: <laughs> yeah, it, I I also wonder too in this situation is it maybe ted's concern for what the experience will entail with beard there right because he has been the one who saved beard he's the one who who helped beard when he was at his lowest and to have to reverse those roles or to have neither of them be in a place where they could save the other it kind of reminds me of paul and his
0: wife in that sense By the way, I'm so Judith because she was like, just get me to the couch and shut the blinds. So (laughs) relatable. (laughs) Unlike that most days anyway.
2: Okay, so now I want to think about setting, both physical and social. I think in this case they interact and I'm going to look at the hotel room, where they start. I'm going to look at the museum and then of course the Yankee Doodle Burger Barn. So in the hotel room, Ted is mostly distracted, but when Beard asks him, Like, hey, where are we eating? He looks up a place. And this is where he discovers the Yankee Doodle Burger Barn. Beard, straight up, like, nah, dude, this is not it. (laughs) He's like, we're in Amsterdam and you want to go to Yankee Doodle Burger Barn? All right. There's always that guy. That guy is Ted. (laughs) But he's like, all right, maybe. And then he asks what the rating is. And when it's only 2.7 stars, he's like, "Mm, no, I think we can do better.
3: But like the one restaurant no one wants to go to.
0: No yeah. one. Yeah. An Absolutely. Australian-run American burger joint.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. But I think it is interesting that for Ted, it is what stands out to him because this setting of this restaurant is going to play into his mindset, which is missing home, right? He is from middle America. This doesn't get any more middle America than Kansas. Like the literal middle point, at least in the contingent united states continental but not continental because technically alaska is on the continent
1: true but they don't usually incur <laughs> like include it in that for like mailing <laughs> rates and things like that the lower 48 Fact. has that
2: yeah there we go the lower forty-eight. it is the center. there the central point is in kansas like north south east west it's there right so he's literally from middle america after Beard makes the tea, the two are just sitting there watching TV, and we can see that Ted still hasn't had a sip of this mushroom tea at all. And Beard is just sitting there, like petting the chair. And I, I love that moment <laughs> it's, it's just—it's so fitting. Ted eventually encourages Beard to go out without him. He's like, you know, if you if you want to go, just go. Like, it doesn't do either of us any good.
0: Right. Um, and now he's alone. And like a true friend, he's out the building before Ted's finished the sentence as well. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but what's interesting is that now that Ted is alone, he's even less likely to be able to escape the thoughts that he's trying to distract himself with, especially because Rebecca's phone is at the bottom of the canal and he has no contact with her eventually he he's just sitting there going back and forth whatever and he downs like three quarters of the tea we don't see him drink it but we see the cup mostly empty and he heads out on his own and so for me this is really that moment where like doing drugs with beard would not work for ted like you would think oh this is a safe person someone who knows what's going on but for ted that is not going to be the right person to be with in this situation he's More likely to, to want to be on his own and be like not want to be with his own thoughts, but be more successful in his trip with his own thoughts. Again, for me, it it parallels Paulin and his wife with the too much pressure and that sort of thing. So Ted heads out into Amsterdam and he heads to the Van Gogh Museum. It's Museum Nacht, which I googled this because I was like, oh i have not but i was like mm-hmm. i want to make sure it wasn't just an exhibit somewhere and i looked it up and i was like oh the glass that's all the same glass that's yeah. that's exactly the- mm-hmm. so it's
0: absolutely beautiful
2: just side note because like trent mentions museum Knox, right and all of this so i i looked it up and in the episode the museum guy says we're closing shortly But Museum Knox goes until 2 a.m. So when the hell is Ted going to the Yankee Doodle Burger? (laughs) It's
0: like 3 a.m. I've got got a theory about that guy, though. Have you got a theory? Has anybody else got a theory about that guy that gave him the notebook? I thought that was Van Gogh. Oh, Because it kind of looked like him. And I thought that that was Ted sort of tripping out and just imagining Van Gogh giving him i love that i love that reason telling them they were closing when they weren't well you know
2: no i love that that's fantastic well okay so this employee that you mentioned uh here right the employee says life is a sowing time and the harvest is not quite there right so maybe that's sort of that van gogh-esque like this sort of spiritual mentor in a sense and in reference to Van Gogh, he further says his demons never stopped him from searching for beauty. Where you find beauty, you find inspiration if you stay determined. So again, is this guy real? Or as Michaela is suggesting, is, he may be part of the trip, which I believe that Ted is, is actually on, you know, I take this as when you know what you're doing, what you're meant to be doing, you have to try. And Ted is meant to be a coach and this might not be his sport. It might be something he's struggling with, but it is absolutely something that he is meant to be doing. And I think there's a lot of Ted and Van Gogh uh, parallels here, maybe. And I was just curious on your thoughts into that, but Michaela, you mentioned already what you thought about the museum guy. So I love that. If anybody else has any thoughts.
3: Well, I'm not so much about the Van Gogh part of it, but like, there was something for me i mean you know obviously shout out to he sat in the chicago neighborhood and was watching the bulls because chicago's the best huh um (laughs) but no seriously right (laughs) no but he was sitting in right he was sitting in the chicago area and like right like yeah he's a midwest guy knows american sports he coached american sports and like even though what he came up with wasn't right like like yeah like you said the 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 soccer whatever uh form he came up with was something that he didn't total football thinking I was like, what is that called? The total football thinking, well it wasn't his. It wasn't Mm -hmm. original, right? But it also wasn't original because yes, the Bulls were doing that try that whole triangle offense thing that made him think about moving things around, right? It's something that's been done over and over. And he just needed to open his mind, right? Like he was always so stuck, right? Like I think, you know, we've talked about it how the whole time he's like fighting against the fact that like he doesn't understand the sport and he just keeps saying it. keeps like
0: Doing self-fulfilling prophecy
3: mm-hmm. right he's just like i don't understand this sport i don't understand this country right and then it's like well no like if you open your mind you know if you think yeah. about it yeah all sports are the same as a coach oh right like motivating and all these kinds of things and so he, when he when he kind of puts it into the american terms that he can understand it like you know this his
0: mind. Yeah. Also, this is, uh, sorry to interrupt, but this is a bit that is in mind that I'm just maybe going to quickly slip in here because I don't know if it's a bit of a reach, but when Ted came up with total football and it turns out somebody else had already done that, it reminds me of all these scientists going, Do you know what we should do? Have guided psilocybin experiences, what like the Native Americans and indigenous people of Peru have been doing for centuries. <laughs> well done. Well Good lads. Done. Well done, lads. Yeah.
3: You did it. His, the best point in the book is when he says basically like there were all these people that used to do this and we we killed them. Yeah. It's
0: why he literally didn't what take they... coyote because it's yeah. not on the register with the rest of them because it's seen as a, a sort of religious experience. But yeah, it's just like you came up with something that people have been doing for centuries but you wouldn't let them fucking do it. But that's, a, that's just a, that's from Muppet and I thought It just fitted in there quite well. Welcome to America. (laughs) (laughs) So I do want to talk specifically
2: about the the Yankee Doodle Burger Barn and his whole experience there and how that connects. Like you were mentioned, Andrea. You know, he walks into this restaurant and it's it's like a a kidnapped store. He's just so excited to see like it's an explosion of Americana. Every which way he turns, there's stimuli that are like this is America, right? You know, from the decorations to the uniforms, the fried food, the portion sizes, all of this stuff adds to this feeling of like the Amer- the middle American chain restaurants that Ted would be familiar and comfortable with, right? So we're talking about a setting that is comforting, choosing to sit in the the Windy City section, choosing to eat Freedom fries, (laughs) as they're called, onion rings, right? The barbecue sauce, all of this. It's funny because the employees don't really know much about the U.S., but the setting is familiar for Ted um, and perhaps maybe even a bit comforting. So as you mentioned, we're in the Windy City section. There's an old Bulls game on and not just any game, but one that Ted remembered watching with his dad as a kid, right? So that's another important part of the mindset. The commentated on the game are talking about the triangle offense. So he's sort of like honing in on that aspect of the the conversation. And all of this combined with the the pyramid of fries. And as Ted says, pyramid ain't nothing but a triangle. Actually three triangles all leaning on each other. I mean, it's also four triangles if you count the bottom, but thank you, Marita. I, I appreciate Splinter. your nod there. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not a square. It's four triangles. <laughs> <laughs> but and then like you got Chance the Rapper with the number three. So he's being surrounded by threes on all sides. And that gets him thinking and not even necessarily actively thinking. It just sort of permeates in in his brain. So I think like, well, Ted might have been slightly affected at the museum, although maybe more if that was like the spirit of Van Gogh coming to talk to him. The trip or the placebo effect of the trip, if, if you don't think he was affected, I think that it really hits him here. And, you know, first he thinks he sees Nate serving at the tables. Then the waitress brings him the Arthur Bryant barbecue sauce. And psh, it's literally a taste of home for him. That flavor, you've got your visuals of home. You've got your sounds of home from the game and now you have the taste of home from the barbecue sauce. And he
0: didn't even choose that. He just said, give me whatever one. And she brought that one. So it's even more like a sign. Yeah. Yeah,
2: absolutely.
0: And then we enter
2: Math Magic Land because that is a hardcore Donald Duck in Math Magic Land. I remember watching that in school, Marita. (laughs)
1: Yes, me too. But I just wanted to pop in here because you're talking about the the number three. And so I had no idea what the connection here is. But I I picked that out with all the threes, um, because both the triangles, but um, someone was discussing in one of the OPB articles about facilitated psilocybin. And there's a practitioner that said she will usually charge $1,333. In numerology, the 333 represents transformation. All and right. so then the Oregon Health Authority, the public health division that that rules over psilocybin is division three hundred and thirty three. So
2: <laughs> there's something about three.
1: A lot of people having fun with those numbers.
2: <laughs> that's I mean, that's really interesting because, again, none of these things are directly connected. This is just a TV show. Like, why does it have to be triangles? Why isn't it you know what? What is it about the triangles and but all of these the Bulls game the the you know as you're mentioning like the the division for this (laughs) psilocybin group or whatever there's something about that number that really like sticks in the head. Once we get into the uh, Math Magic Land element, which again, as soon as it started, I was like, okay, where's Donald Duck? Where is he coming on the screen? <laughs> I don't think kids today watch that, but they should.
0: I have literally no idea what you're oh, I don't think we got that. I'll here. find a
2: link and send it to Please, you. I'm yeah. sure it's out there. So, here as we enter, like Ted's like everything goes black around him. We've got the, the little visuals around him. Ted really gets to thinking about these triangles. He gets to thinking about the triangle offense. He gets to think about the formation of endless triangles and how that helped them. As Andrea was saying about the Bulls game and the basketball and that connection home, it's not about the fact that this had been created already as a total football, but it was that it was connecting with something at home. Something from home. And so as the servers are closing up the restaurant, Ted's still sitting there like lining up mustard and ketchup bottles to like find these new positions and everything for the players. To wrap up, I want to talk about the payoff. As we've mentioned, Beard says it was a dead batch, but obviously something affected Ted, whether it was the placebo effect, their permission to allow himself to open his mind, or because he'd never done drugs and they actually affected him in a way that didn't affect Beard or Kenneth a big part of his the impact it had on him had everything to do with set and setting. Once Ted let go of the stigma of mushrooms, the pressure of tripping with beard around, and he found himself in a familiar setting with familiar flavors, sounds, and sights, everything just clicked. By the end of the, the episode, they're playing another game, and I think, yeah, that was that same episode, right? No, maybe it was the finale. I watched them both. So, anyway, eventually they're just one long, long episode to you. The whole season's just one long episode, yeah. I mean, it's a long time. But eventually we do find that Ted gets football, right? He understands offsides even. He figures out a way for the team to play that will work for them all. All of this stuff clicks for him. All of these pieces fall into place and they they don't all fall immediately. They don't all fall simultaneously but he opens himself up to allowing himself to understand what football is and um and i think at that moment he's like all right yeah and and he goes back to to kansas and coaches henry in the sport even so it's it's become a part of him that trip really opened him
0: up those new neural pathways maybe
3: i was thinking too like the fact that he starts reading that book like i almost wonder even if beard had like tried to get him to read the book previously like you need to you know you need to learn about this
0: and now he's open to it and like yeah greyhounds if you're enjoying our podcast we'd be delighted if you could give us a review and follow or subscribe on wherever you get your podcasts thanks for listening back to the podcast So that's me. Excellent. Nice. I really enjoyed that. In the spirit of just stealing ideas from other people, I'm also going to be doing set and setting. We call this building off of. We call this building off of, yeah. I'm doing it slightly different. as I'm, I'm focusing on Ted's journey as a whole. So probably just looking at the, not the whole series in depth, but like the arc for the whole series. So I was also interested in set and setting. And that was one of the things that jumped straight out at me was that when they were saying the experience of psychedelics is powerfully influenced by what you expect from it, right? So if you go into it scared and worried that you're going to have a bad time and worrying about things, um, you know, that responsibilities you have, then you're probably setting yourself up for a bad time. But if you go in with the expectations that you're going to get answers to a question that you want answers for, or you're going to have a relaxing time and, and see new things, then more than likely that's what will happen. Some of the interesting things was like Michael himself was waiting for the right set and setting in which to try um psychoactive substances. You know, like he hadn't tried them previous to sort of the research for the book, which I thought was actually quite interesting. And then Paul Stamets, apologies if I say any of these names wrong because I've only read these names, um, he commanded himself during a particularly hairy afternoon, stuck up a tree while on LSD to stop stuttering. And the results were, as in his own words, instantaneous. And yet, occasionally through his life, he did stutter, but for the majority of it, he didn't. Uh, and he was able to overcome that. So set and set in is the factor on whether you're going to have a positive experience. And Bex has already explained set being the mindset and the setting being the sort of environment in which your trip will take place. Uh, this is just a sort of random strung together few observations, but I really enjoyed Albert Hoffman's trip on LSD25 which he was synthesising ergot I think and had was each bit that came out of it was trying it and tried this one and had a nice sort of experience and thought I'll try some more and basically took a fuck load of LSD in comparison to what your actual supposed, you know what you would know now and how much you would take and he just wanted to go home and I can relate to that he just wanted to go home So he got on his bike and that's what he did. He cycled home. And to a lot of people who appreciate LSD, April the 19th is now known as Bicycle Day. And I just thought that was really fun. Interestingly, Bill Richards had his first trial in a dark basement alone, which is a recipe for a bad trip, but he had a good experience. So I think it's interesting that set and setting don't have to be equal. Right? Like... One can save the other in the right circumstances. Al Hubbard set up the rooms with flowers. You mentioned this, but he sent you pictures, music, diamonds as props to sort of help people see a a mystical revelation. So, like, literally sort of tricking people into this mystical revelation that that actually might end up meaning something to them. But setting, setting are not the only important factors in having the positive psychedelic experience. Roland Griffith used space travel as a metaphor for a trip and suggested it would be more successful with access to ground control. To Major Tom. Sorry. Just had to do that. Of course. Having, yeah, it had to be done. Having someone you trust to look out for you, which, which Bex has mentioned as well, like... I agree in that situation with Ted and Beard. I love Beard, but um, I don't want to go on a trip with Beard. He's, he's just chaos, and I couldn't, I would not relax. So, yeah, yeah, you, you have to be with someone that you trust, and also it has to be somebody that you're not going to be worrying about, like he was with Judith, um, his wife, when she, Michael's wife, when she went away and just sank into the couch. So, Osman and Hoffer claim that the best way to have a successful experience a successful experience with psychedelics is to have an engaged and empathetic guide helping you through. There is even an argument that suggested that this guide should have had their own experiences with psychedelics to further understand what their patient is going through. And I've mentioned a lot of names here that support that idea, but I think it's important to acknowledge that. And we have I've discussed this already because it came up, but the indigenous communities abused ayenasca and, and pyote in guided learning sessions for centuries like this is not a new thing it's just that they've put the word science on it and put a lab coat on it and it's you know looks more professional it's the, it's exactly the same thing and what we've discussed in the past when I think when I did Entangled Life was about the dissolution of ego during a psilocybin trip which is part of the the thing that gives you a chance to look at a problem you might be having from a different perspective right from one that isn't Um, guided by your emotions or your learned behaviors so i think that ted moving across the world to manage a football team while have and sorry i mean soccer i don't mean soccer no you don't but i'm just (laughs) you know i'm trying to make it easy for them americans and stuff
1: oh we thought your mind was expanding there for a minute
0: (laughs) no neural pathways will open up to that it's football (laughs) <laughs> uh, but, yeah, he came over to manage a football team, soccer, while having the experience of American football. I think that's quite a good metaphor for opening up different pathways of thinking because it's almost like seeing things from a different perspective. Essentially, what Ted is doing here is the same but different, right? Like, he, yes, he doesn't understand the sport, but the actual the idea of um, guiding people through a sport or guiding a team is is the same thing. So doing it from the perspective of British football as opposed to American football is is a sort of different way of looking at the same issues that he's had. At first, while Ted navigates his new surrounding alone, he still stumbles over the same issues which plagued him back home, right? He still has a deep-rooted fear of letting people down, eh, the trauma from his father's death and the anxiety of being a father himself. It isn't until his guide shows up to assist him that Ted begins to make progress. It is interesting to me that Dr. Sharon, the experienced and empathetic therapist, rolled in on a bicycle. Uh huh. Isn't that fun? Mm-hmm. I think that's fun. It wasn't on the April nineteenth. I've checked. Apparently, the season starts in like <laughs> July or something. But I thought that would have been cool. But yeah, she she rides in on her bicycle. We also get to see that Sharon has her own experiences with therapy when we see her working through some of her own issues with her own therapist, right, which is sort of a metaphor for psilocybin guide having experienced it themselves so that they know what what their patient expects. But Ted isn't really ready to work with Dr. Sharon until he's in the right mindset. And I think his panic attack is something that shifts where Ted realises he needs that help. And that is the mindset he needs to go forward and heal, right? And now that he's got the mindset to go forward and heal and he's got his guide, this is where we see him have positive outcomes. And I think if you look at the his journey, the story as a whole, in the end, not much around Ted has changed. It's Ted that's done the changing, right? I mean, as far as we know, he's still divorced. That's a different argument as to whether he they're back together or not but nothing has really changed in ted's life like he still has his son he still coaches he still has a a sort of relationship with his wife he has all the same issues and problems as he had when he left to come to britain but he's changed and his mindset's changed and how to deal with those issues and problems in his life and how to like voice what he's feeling and i just thought that was a really good metaphor
3: yeah and like in season two right he's so hung up on like are we crazy for you know or even season one he says it. actually he says it when they're on the plane in the first episode he's like are we nuts
0: absolutely because that's that's where the line comes from right if you're what is it about the horse yeah if you're comfortable riding a horse you're not doing it right right yes um or something about testicles if you've got the original script but yeah he was like what am i doing you know like just the whole thing just felt like a right metaphor for for Ted taking himself out of the situation he's done, look at it from a different perspective, learning from another perspective, and then going back and taking what he's learned to approach the exact same life that he had when he ran away from it, really, which I thought was quite fascinating.
2: Oh, I think I think it's That's good. really amazing that we can take this concept of set and setting and hone it into a very specific moment or yeah. widening it, widen it out to the extent of the three seasons and the whole story arc, right? That, yeah. that there are. I think what it shows us is that to open ourselves up in the big picture, we have to also open ourselves up to the little picture along the way.
0: Take care of the pennies and the pounds will take care of them- themselves, right? Do you have that phrase there? No. I mean, we use dollars, so... Really no. <laughs> you have none of the fun phrases. No Charlie Big Balls. No suck it and see. It and sucks just... here. It sucks
1: here. <laughs> well, unless you're in Oregon.
3: <laughs> oh. But we already just heard that Chicago was the best, so... <laughs>
2: Listen, I don't even need to say it because that's how good New York is. (laughs) All right. Everyone settle down. Settle down.
0: (laughs) We have the 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 best haggis pizza.
2: (laughs) Okay. You all do not have the best pizza in Scotland. We have the best haggis pizza. We have the best
0: haggis pizza. Yeah. You're
2: probably also have the only haggis pizza. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. That's why I picked it.
0: (laughs) That's why I picked it.
3: (laughs) (laughs) we're getting it. along let's not bring pizza into it <laughs> no <laughs> not, not in that argument i love you guys <laughs> yeah
0: but i did think it was interesting that, yeah we both looked at setting setting but um we both yeah. came from a, a different angle and i think that's a really good way to look at it is that you can it's like any literary sort of not judgment what's the word i'm looking for analysis yeah is that you can usually apply those same things to smaller areas of the text as well mm-hmm well,
3: and I even nope. think, honestly, the set and setting. I mean, that if you think about it, that is kind of what I'm talking about with Beard and Jane, too. I was going to say is so. The journey, the journey that Beard took himself, through, you know, he was yeah. definitely way more open to this stuff and doing it. But like he had to wrap his head around a lot of different oh, things.
0: Absolutely.
3: You know, him coming to terms and the point the air when they're on the airplane. He's like, I have to get off this plane. Yeah. I need to stay here. You know,
2: even the part where he opens up and tells Nate you know ted saved me right like that was a thing he had to he had to reach that point in his own headspace to be like okay i don't want to like all the things that he said he'd be willing to do to like take care of nate along the way right he's like okay fine ted was right again but he had to go through his own journey to to discover that
0: just see it yeah yeah oh so we all need a guide and I'm fine with you three being mine. Just to <laughs> let you know, well, that's your job now. <laughs> okay, all right then. <laughs> I'll take it.
2: Marina's <laughs> like, I already have a child and a dog. I have to guide. <laughs>
1: yeah, <laughs> I've, I've got some responsibilities here. I was just, I was looking up the names of the service centers that are licensed here in Oregon, and wow, they really run the gamut from like. Uh, Ashland so the Healing Spiritual Center, names, right? Really- to uh, Brain Brew Incorporated. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Why does that Wild. sound like a craft beer company?
1: Vital Reset. You know, Epic mm. Healing, and then there's one that's just Trips with a Z, Trips LLC.
0: <laughs> oh, only one Z. Fail. Only it, one yeah. Z.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Why was I go to that one? Why? Why would I be like, yeah, I'm going to Trips? This well, there's, the ones just, that, there's ones
1: just that's there's one that's called Shrooms Inc. Right. <laughs> the asimov yeah. corporation that sounds uh, yeah that's
0: wait a minute no i don't want to be a robot <laughs> wait, and that, that's the right, robot and it, guy right
3: it, it, sometimes yeah. yeah isaac asimov the science fiction writer yeah, yeah. well and it's interesting too with the, like the names the way people cater to different like i i found it so fascinating the first time i went to amsterdam like They had, they had some of their coffee shops where these just, they were just, it was just a beautiful, normal coffee shop, Mm -hmm. full glass, you know, like everything out in the open. But then they had to have the ones to cater to the American idea that we're doing something illegal.
2: yeah Right. And,
3: and there were the ones that like, you had to go underground and it was all dark. And then they had the black light posters. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, like there was such a different vibe and they had, they were catering to, yeah, they were catering to. That sensibility of
1: dramatically you know. different marketing strategies yeah do you know yes. talking
0: about amsterdam marketing strategies do you know they actually had a marketing budget for telling young british stagnates to just fuck off and not come genuinely genuinely there was an advertising campaign and i think it was google alerted so that if you googled amsterdam stagnates and our came up and said basically we don't we don't want you here if you could just fuck off that would be wonderful
3: wow which,
0: no, go go yourself amsterdam yeah that's quite because they were just coming over and just causing problems and there for yeah. the sex tourism and you know like yes it, it's making it more seedy than it than was necessary so they, they basically were like yeah we don't we don't want you to come which is baller yeah <laughs> we make enough money we don't need your stagnate money does everybody the americans know what stagnate is
1: uh, Stag night. It sounds like stagnate. stagnate. Oh, <laughs> right.
0: Heads, yeah. So, so. A stagnate is a, a bachelor, bachelor, party. bachelor party. party. Yeah. Well, fantastic as ever. Andrea, what are we reading next? We are reading The
3: Alchemist by, right. by I hope I'm going to say this right, Paulo Coelho. Does
2: Since anyone know? Sounds yet? right to pa- me. Yeah, Paulo Coelho, sure.
0: Paulo Coelho, yeah. I'm excited <laughs> about this one i'm really excited about
3: yeah. talking about Heck. colin's
2: journey yep mm-hmm. yep i honestly listened to this book like a year ago when we first mentioned that we might do it and so i don't yes. remember it i'm gonna have to get it
0: again <laughs> it's quite short though, it's a short right? book yeah, it is yeah. it is
2: yeah. Yeah.
0: awesome i'm looking forward to it mm-hmm. me too and we might have a
2: guest on that one
3: we'll we see. might
0: have a special guest on that one i'm excited mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. well okay. thanks for joining us yeah bye yeah. that's what we forgot to do yeah thanks for thanks everyone bye bye Bye. follow us
3: on twitter at beards book club or send us an email at coachbeardsbookclub
2: at gmail.com subscribe to us on spotify apple podcast or wherever else you get your podcasts
1: share us with your friends and family and leave a five-star review